Welcome everybody to uh, Nothing But Facts. What number are we on, Ryan? Number 14, Nothing But Facts 14. Uh, today in which, uh, today's Thursday, so stories of the Uriya. Uh, we're gonna start covering uh, the biggest karamat that happened to the people before Islam today. And the greatest of all karamat is the karama of Sayyidina Maryam. And uh, some people said she's a prophet, but this is not the dominant opinion because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls her in the Quran Siddiq. She's a Siddiq. Uh, Siddiq is the highest level of wilaya. Uh, after prophethood, it's the highest level. And she has the greatest karama that any person, any Muslim, has, any believer has ever experienced. And Allah Ta'ala, of course, that uh, reports it, of course, that is the birth of Sayyidina Isa ibn Maryam. And that wasn't her only karama. She had the karama that she used to receive fruits in the winter, that were the that were the fruits harvests of the summer and fruits of the summer that would have been harvests of the winter and so she always had food and she was dedicated to the temple her her father dead her mother and her father dedicated her to the temple and it used to be that only boys could do that could be dedicated to the temple girls weren't dedicated to the temple but uh, because her father made the oath and her father was the chief of the Bani Israel at that time and they made an oath. And so she was. She received a room. And her, Sayyidah Maryam's mother, and uh, uh, had a sister. That sister was the wife of Sayyidina Zechariah. So the prophet Zechariah, the great prophet Zechariah, is in a sense, his wife is the niece, is the aunt of Sayyidah Maryam. And that's why they took over her well-being after her. Sayyidina Zechariah was her guardian after that, and he was the uh, chief rabbi, and he was a prophet as, at the same time. And so after Sayyidina Imran passed away, Maryam ibn Imran, and Sayyidina Zechariah took over her guardianship and would go and witness that Maryam has food from the winter in the summer and food from the summer in the winter. Well, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to make one of his signs clear, what does he do? He makes it in such a way that it cuts off and removes any possibility of misinterpretation. If there was just food there, and Sayyidina Maryam would, would be asked, where did you get this food from? She said, it's from Allah. Okay, It just comes. Well, a person could think, well, maybe she went and got it, nobody saw her. Maybe someone came and brought it to her and nobody saw him. Right. Well, the proof against that is that it was fruit that was out of season so that nobody could actually have done this. Right? Nobody could have uh, brought it for her. And Allah Ta'ala cuts off any possibilities of uh, doubts or other theories, alternate theories on how Sayyidina Maryam would have gotten this food. So Sayyidina Maryam, she had the greatest of, of karamats, but that's not who we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about another man from the Bani Israel, and that man is Juraj, uh, uh, and he is a great monk. 
He was a great monk who is mentioned in the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that his karama is, was one of the very, you can count these karamat. It only happened three times that a person received the karama that he received. Okay. We good? Okay. Who's not going like that? Weird. Maybe the kids are day off from school or something. Juraj was a great monk and he was a worshiper. And many of you know the story, but a lot of people don't know these stories, right? And we teach here for people learning Islam from the beginning, right? Juraj is a monk. And this monk was one of the better and the best of the monks of Bani Israel at that time. And he had a school and he had students and he had disciples, okay? This is Sayyidina Juraj. His other monks, he kept outstripping them. In every way, shape, and form, he would outstrip all the other monks. He would do better than them until they got jealous of him. When they got jealous of him, they plotted and schemed against him. What did they do? They said, let's, let's test Juraj, okay? Let's test him out. All right, how are we going to test him out? Let's test him out by sending him a prostitute. So on a rainy night, they told the prostitute, a local prostitute, go wait until it rains. Next time it rains, then go knock on his door, okay, and pretend you're some meek traveler and you're weak and it's raining and you're a righteous man. Let me, help me in. Let me in. So she does. And she does this to say Najurej on a rainy, cold, dark, rainy night. And he thinks to himself, well, what is he going to do? He can't himself leave the house and sleep outside in the mud. He can't turn her away from his door. Okay, so what's going on? So he lets her in. And he spends the entire night lighting a fire and spends the entire night sitting in front of a fire with his back to her and his hand on the fire. And he spent the entire night focused on this fire so that he could always keep the punishment of this temptation in mind because temptation, right? Temptation, oh shoot, the instant paused. Temptation is something that can only be nullified or only be uh, neutralized by a severe or serious, okay? Severe or serious pain. Because what is pleasure? Right, pleasure is, or, or these temptations is pleasure, and pleasure, okay, uh, is new, neutralized by pain. All right, pleasure is neutralized by pain. So he kept pain on his mind at all times, and because pain was on his mind at all times, he was able to get through the entire night. And in the morning, as soon as the light broke, he opened the door and he said, "Okay, halas, now you have to leave. You have no reason, right?" So she left, but she had a job. It was to get pregnant from Juraj, and she didn't fulfill the job. So what does she do? She goes to a shepherd, and she tempts this poor shepherd, and she gets pregnant from the shepherd. And you know, and women can know when they're, you know, they're 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 able to become pregnant. And on that night, she knew I could become pregnant. So she became pregnant from the shepherd. When she became pregnant, now weeks passed. Now back in the old days, you don't know you're pregnant until way later, right? Not like today. 
So when she when he finally be, she became pregnant, she went off and she started yelling and telling everybody, spreading rumors. All right. You all saw me. You all saw me walking here last night. That's Jureja's house. Right. They said, yes, we did see you. He impregnated me. And she starts spreading this rumor. This is Jureja's baby. And he refuses to take care of me, blah, blah, blah. And he, you, he calls himself a monk. And then all the other scholars of the Beni Yisrael and their monks and everybody, they all, in a sense, ganged up on Juraj. And they became so enraged with Juraj that he lost all of his disciples except whomever Allah had mercy upon. He lost it all. They went and the people came and they tore down his monastery. The area of where he lived and worshipped and the masjid that he had there and the, the place where the students lived and all the other teachers taught, they tore it all down out of anger. They took hammers and clubs and they yanked everything down and destroyed everything. Juraj ended up having to almost leave and live in the woods because of how outcasted he was. And he just prayed and prayed and he kept his iman until finally the woman, the prostitute, gave birth. Now, what is the way out from this, right? This is a complete he said, she said. There's no DNA testing. There's no eyewitnesses. There's, there's nothing. And rumors are a massive problem. That's why it's called buhtan. A rumor is a type of thing where you actually have to prove yourself innocent. The people, for it's so provocative, the people have believed it. And you have to prove yourself innocent. That's why rumors are so bad. It's because it's almost like as Sayyidah Aisha, when the rumor spread for her, Sayyidah Aisha, she said, it's, you have already believed it. All right, what, what can I say? There's no evidence for this, but you have already believed it. So that's the definition of a rumor. It's something that people, they want to believe it. It's so provocative and so crazy, right? They want to believe. That's the def the real definition of a rumor. Juraj was in this position. There's nothing you could say, right? There's no explanation. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showed him his way out and he was given an ilham, an inspiration in front of everybody. Find this woman in public where there is a lot of people and point to the baby and say, who is your father? And the baby will speak. And he did. He waited and waited until the day that came where she was with the baby in front of a lot of people and everyone was watching. What is Juraj doing? What, like he's disgraced. He comes back and in front of everybody, he points to the baby, says, who is your father? And the baby speaks and says, my father is the shepherd and everyone sees it. It's mutawatir. Nobody can deny it. Nobody, even if there are people who wanted to deny it, they can't deny it because there are too many people there. And it's impossible to rally everybody to have the same opinion on things. That's the idea of mutawatir, something that it's impossible to organize everybody and have the same opinion and come up whether it's a lie or otherwise. So Juraj became the second of three people who had experience with a baby uh, speaking. Prophet Sallallahu said it happens only three times in the creation that a baby spoke. That baby, the son of the shepherd, 
Sayyidina Isa bin Maryam, of course, after him. And in another, also before Sayyidina Isa bin Maryam, there was a pious woman. And if you ever heard of Ashabul Ukhdud in Surat Al Buruj, there was a period of time where kings had this habit of eliminating what they believed to be seditious minorities. And these seditious minorities were at some point the Jews and sometimes the Christians, the early Christians. The Bani Israel, I should say. So when they were still upon Tawheed and they were the Bani Israel, and then even some say afterwards it was the Christians. Uh, the pagans would want to get rid of this minority that they felt was a seditious minority. And the fast way to do it was just to dig a huge, dig a huge ditch. It took a month or more for the army to dig and fill it with timber and with wood and with charcoals and then set it ablaze and then literally arrest all, every single individual from this seditious minority and simply throw them in the garbage, essentially. Just throw them away, throw them into the fire. What we call today genocides. That's ashab, that ukhdud means the ditch. So the third baby to speak is a woman of Bani Israel who had a lot of iman. But the softest point for any human being is a mother for the baby. We can all agree upon that. A mother for the baby is the softest uh, spot that a person could have in their heart. And she had the mother in her, the, the baby in her hands. And she went and she thought to herself, the thought crossed her mind from Iblis. What if you utter the word of shirk? Just say what they want to say. They want you to say. And then go far, far away. Then you could raise your baby upon Iman. You can raise your baby upon Iman. Okay. And he could be a secret believer and he could preach the truth later on in life. This was Iblis's trick to get her to say. Now, by the way, in our Sharia, we would be allowed to say anything as long as it doesn't bring a harm to another person. For example, you can't accuse someone of zina. You can't accuse somebody of something. Uh, and you, but you, if you said someone says to you, okay, say that you worship this idol or I'll kill you, you could say, fine, I worship the idol. But that's uh, happened to Ammar bin Yasser, it would be permissible. But for her, in their Sharia, I wasn't. And she, the baby spoke and she, he said, Mother, do not do it. Jump and Allah will protect us. And they jumped. Some people say for some of those mu'mineen that they had the, Karama of Sayyidina Ibrahim that they didn't feel pain. And Allah knows best about that. But that today is our first story of the awliya in our series of stories of the actually the second. The first was Abdullah al-Andalusi, who we talked about last week. And we said about him that he had the amazing story that he actually Iman left his heart when he belittled a Jew. He belittled a Jew. He humiliated a Jew. And that Jew ended up taking the Shahada later on. And Abdullah al-Andalusi ended up apostating out of Islam for the sake of the love of a Christian girl that entered his heart. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala relented upon him. He returned back to Islam, was excellent in his Islam, and the Christian girl became a Muslim. Sayyidina Ali came to her in a dream and said that there is 
have no fear. There is only one. The, the message of Muhammad is true because that Christian girl, she only grew up on Christianity. She, she was so sincere about it. Okay. And Sayyidina Ali came and said, the message of Muhammad is true and is the only true message left on the earth. The message of Isa has been corrupted and altered. It's unknown. There's no way to know what he said anymore, except some general things. And so she ends up becoming Muslim and going and marrying Abdullah al-Andalusi. That was the first one about was maybe last week at some point we, we talked about that. And today we've covered Juraj. So with that, let us uh, open up now. All right. And we could start with Ryan. By the time I open my Insta, Ryan, what do you have? Somebody asked uh, regarding Maryam, where is the true location that this took place? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Uh, oh, the the Sayyidah Maryam, if, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the temple is in Jerusalem. Um, was it Nazareth? Allahu A'lam. But I believe that the temple that it took place in is uh, Jerusalem and Allah knows best. I mean, we could probably look at it in the book. Nasara, some people say, are Nazarenes. The word Nasara is, is, is some attributed as the Arabic for helpers. Okay, like the Ansar of the Prophet and others say the Nasara are the Nazarenes because that's where Sayyidina Isa was born. Allah Adam, it could be that. Uh, so we have to look at that detail. What else? Someone also asked, was the food uh, from the angel Mikael or from uh, Jibril? Allah Adam, who the food was. Which angel brought the food? Allah knows best. It could have been someone else completely from Mikael or Israel. Next. Someone asked, how much effort should we make in clearing doubt in other people if we think our action might create doubt in others, even if, they create, if, even if the action itself is sound? Okay, this question said, if my action is sound, but people have doubts about it. The answer to that is, uh, the Prophet ﷺ told us to watch our reputation, guard your reputation. You need a sound reputation. There's sum'a is this a type of riya for the sake of reputation. Like I'm doing an act of worship just to improve your reputation. That is something that's riya. It's a show, it's a type of, uh, it's a bad thing. But to guard your reputation from being, uh, uh, having a bad reputation is matlub. It's recommended, it's desirable. It's almost obligatory. The Prophet said, uh, be mindful of where you can get accused, the places of where you can get accused. For example, we have a place here, uh, East Nav, where in the spring and summer, there's just no one's dressed. There are bars. It's parties. It's not place. Uh, it's not somewhere where any Muslim should be seen, right? Unless you're just passing through. So if you're hanging out there and someone sees you, you're going to have a reputation, right? So... Prophet ﷺ stay away from the locations where you could be accused of something. When the Prophet ﷺ had married, and this is the proof that the Prophet ﷺ did not have these massive elaborate weddings, okay? The Sahaba themselves, uh, someone's cooking some really good food. You smell that, man? SubhanAllah. <laughs> the tenants downstairs are cooking. It's coming through the floor. Uh, but uh, the Prophet ﷺ, he was walking with his wife, and the Sahaba did not had not attended. They didn't know he got married, so he said, "This is my wife." They said, "Oh, Masrullah, we would never accuse you or think ill of you." He said, "Yes, but Shaitan can play games with you." So 
you got to always make sure that people don't think you're doing something bad. And they're, and people who have fiqh and they don't have understanding, they have no problem always saying, by the way, just so for your information, what I was doing is this, that, and the other, right? Uh, just to make sure that nobody assumes something false about them or has a suspicion about them. Because, yes, I trust you. I don't trust Iblis. In the same way like uh, teenagers when they start driving, I don't want you driving at night. Well, you don't trust me. I trust you. I don't trust the other people on the road, right? Likewise, uh, oh, why can't I have my iPad and go to the room or, or get a cell phone? Why can't I get a mobile phone and just or take the computer in my room? Son, daughter, I trust you. I don't trust Iblis. Iblis can whisper to you. I don't trust myself, right? We That's what we have in Islam. So people can whisper to others. So you have to make sure always to clarify things so that uh, people don't take a bad opinion of you. Next. Nowadays, everyone's main motivation is to move away from pain to pleasurable things. <clears throat> but can the, the tests of pleasure be more difficult? Uh, the question was pleasure to pain. Uh, by the way, it's not nowadays. It's at all times and all creatures. Every single creature is created with a fitrah, an instinct that Allah has inspired inside of that creation to avoid what hurts it and to go to what pleases it. Every single one of us is the same. The only difference is knowledge. The wali of Allah, this is a great story because she, the question was, is could pleasure be a more a worse fitna than pain? Yeah, the answer is yes. It 100% is, okay? But there was a Zahid. He was an ascetic. And the king brought him. And the king was a luxurious king on a throne with meat, with women fanning him, etc. So he he sat and they were talking. And the king just took an interest in this, in this Zahid. Okay. And he said, there's no difference between you and me. The king said, how is there no difference? You're left off this entire dunya. You're, ama you're an amazing worshiper. He said, the Zahid said, I'm telling you, there's no difference between you and me. He said, I flee from pain and seek pleasure. You also flee from pain and seek pleasure. We can see that. You have masseuse and woman fanning you and, and cooking meat for you. But the difference is, I have knowledge and you are ignorant. I have knowledge that the pleasures of this life, they're only good in a proportion. Eventually, they lead you to a depression. Okay, Because they get dull. They get dull. So you can only have, let's say, the most pleasurable evening of your life. If Imagine, I always imagine, there's, forget, there's no halal and haram, the most pleasurable evening in this world of your life. Describe it, outline it in your mind okay i mean we everyone could probably do that outline it in your mind what would that most pleasurable day of your life look like from morning to evening till you sleep now if you were to repeat that the next day and the next day and the next day and that's all you did by the end of the year you'd be in depression because the hap the soul of the person in this life is meant for a moderation of pleasure, a moderation of sacrifice, and an abundance of dhikr. That's how that's the formula of happiness in this life. And an and an abundance 
of helping others, being out there for others, thinking of others, and also a goal that is outside of you. So a function, something that I can think of, not myself. So when you collapse into yourself, you literally collapse into an abyss. So the, the Zahid was essentially saying, we're not different. I just have knowledge of things, of the prophetic, of the right way to maximize my happiness and decrease my misery. You just are ignorant. The king, believe it or not, it settled in his mind and he waited and thought about it and he invited him again. The king became a righteous, ascetic king. He became balanced, not ascetic, not uh, balanced because that's where happiness is. So the, uh, the tests of pleasure and the test of success is a harder test than the test of trial. Okay. Trial is a far worse test. Uh, a far easier test. That's why many people have trials. Very few people have massive success. Why? Because Allah is protecting the people. All right. They wouldn't be able to handle it. There was one wali. He, his murid came and he said, uh, uh, I was always tested. SubhanAllah, I'm always tested. Now I've gotten used to these tests and I have sabr. And the tests now to me is almost, it's easy to handle. He said, now the sheikh said to him, from here on, that's a sign that you pass the test. From here on, your test is going to be success. And success is a harder test than, 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 uh, than failure and poverty. Okay, But pov poverty is no good either. Prophet Sallallahu said, if poverty was a creation, I'd slaughter it. Why? Because it could lead people to desperation, that they stop believing that Allah is, is generous or capable. Qadr. And so once you take on those beliefs about Allah, you're in big trouble. Uh, Halal Humor says, can a person perform Umrah on behalf of a living person? The answer is no. The person has to be dead first. Uh, by the way, revival, Ali, you could tell us here, revival of man. Tell us about uh, your, your treat, your camping retreat here. Because he's doing a retreat, right? I'm assuming they're going to be camping out, hunting. So feel free to tell us about it. All right, uh, Ryan. Someone asked, doesn't Allah say in Surah Hadid that he never told the people to be celibate? Does this invalidate any stories that we hear about pious monks? First of all, it doesn't invalidate it because the, the ayah simply states that uh, he never commanded it. Okay. Monkery itself was fine. Their bid'ah in it was that they refused to marry. Okay, but first of all, not marrying itself is fine. In Islam, the belief that not marrying is better than marrying, that's the bid'ah, the belief, not the practice. Imam Nawi never married, right? A lot of imams never married. Ibrahim ibn Abd had never married. So the practice of not marrying is not the sin. In our ummah, the belief that you can't marry that, or that, that celibacy is better than marriage, that's the innovation. And it would be a sinful innovation. So he'd still be a Sunni Muslim, but he's in error in that matter. He's sinful in that matter. In previous nations, yes, they said, but it did not necessarily say that it is a bid'ah that is forbidden. Why? Because Allah then says, they didn't give it its rightful due. Therefore, it's as if it's saying, 
We didn't tell them to do it, but if you're going to do it, now do it right. Okay? Because it has a haq. And sins do not have a haq. Right? Good logic, right? There, if, if you commit to getting drunk, there is no rightful, there's no haq right to the, to, to the beer that you owe. Right? So if it was sinful bid'ah, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not have said, فَمَرَوْهَا حَقَّ رِعَيَتِهَا it's the, 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 the rights that it's deserved or worth. All right. So for them, that was a sharia. We have a different sharia. We, our sharia is that we don't intentionally become, be, believe that celibacy is greater than marriage. Unless all of the men are corrupt or all of the women are corrupt, then still, then for you only, in that circumstance, marriage may be not good. But marriage as a practice as a belief we believe that marriage is greater next question is the research of something before istikhara or do we pray istikhara first and research afterwards no you research you study you ask around and you come to a conclusion you come to the best conclusion that your mind can come to okay and if that if your best conclusion is that you're 50 50 then you go to the one that you're more like what's 50.001 percent because you if you realize the dua of istikhara is not a dua of choose for me the dua of istikhara is if i chose correctly make it easy if i chose incorrectly make it difficult and move it away from me and move my heart away from it so istikhara is not which choice do I make. Istikhara is did I if I chose correctly, give me the sign. And the sign of istikhara, don't think about dreams. The sign of it could be, but the sign of istikhara is ease or difficulty. It's in the prayer itself. Oh Allah, if this is good for me, make it easy. Oh Allah, if this is bad for me, remove it away from me. Okay. That's the understanding of istikhara that is correct. All right, let's go to the Insta. We got Zekim says, can you make a even if you don't have any choices and you want Allah to make a choice for you that you don't know? No, there wouldn't be a for that. Istikhara, uh, as we said, you have, have an inclination to something. Because, why? Because Allah does not want us to be lazy. Allah wants you to think and act and be decisive. Trust in him. Do not ever believe that Allah plays tricks on people except liars. Liars and tricksters those are, and con men, those are the one whom Allah, uh, he takes their lie and brings it right back to them. The, the, the plotting and the trickery okay, of those people comes right back to them. So if you're an innocent person, I'm just going about my life, then what Allah wants for you is act. Have confidence, have trust in Allah, make a decision, and then ask Allah for blessing. That's the way to do it. And the trick of shaitan is, oh, just leave it to Allah, leave it to Allah, then you achieve nothing. You don't do it. It's not, it's not the right way to do it. Make a decision, calculate, do istishara, don't rush, talk to people, ask Allah for guidance, and then make a decision. Once you make the decision, now you're putting it in front of Allah, is this the right decision? Here's my decision. So you can't come to Allah with an empty application. You have to say, this is my report of my action, and then Allah Ta'ala will make it easy or make it not easy, right? Or move your heart away from it. Uh, 21 Noor says, 
the significance of dreams in Islam very significant. It's wahi. It is wahi. The Prophet ﷺ called it wahi. It is a direct message from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the true dream is separated from the nightmare and is separated from the thoughts of a person. Random thoughts of a person are long, meaningless, hard to remember dreams that are all like, it's basically stuff that's stored in your memory. Imagine, it's almost like insanity in a sense. Like what does the insane person do? The insane person, uh, someone who let's say has a nervous breakdown or temporary insanity, the words that come out of their mouth are all things that they experienced, right? Or they saw. And it's just like absolute random things coming together out of their mouth. The, the adghath, it's called adghath ahlam, mixed up dreams, is merely just all the random things that are in your memory bank coming up, okay? With no logic, no sense. Maybe things you like, maybe things you hate, whatever. So that's meaningless. The true dream is short. It's a powerful feeling. And it composed of known symbols to dream interpreters. In the same way that Allah makes us, if, if I want to learn how to read the Quran, I need to go to a Tajweed teacher, right? Allah wants us to go to teachers. Likewise, he gives you a dream that is composed of symbols. You can never forget it. You'll never forget the dream. Okay? It's something you just, you won't forget. And it was short, simple, concise. And it consists of symbols. The dream interpreter can interpret those symbols. You could take three, four dream interpreters, five dream interpreters, and they will pretty much give you a similar tafsir. And they can explain why they, so the dream is the symbols the fiqh of, of, of those symbols is that it is not the literal symbol itself, but the effect or attribute of the symbol. Okay. And each symbol, a dream is composed is like an, an atom. There is a primary symbol, there are secondary symbols, and there are tertiary symbols. And the correct interpretation is that which aligns all of them in a sensible interpretation. So milk can mean many different things. Right, depending, and it's explained by its context with the secondary symbol and the tertiary symbols. Okay, in relation to it. Okay, one of the most famous examples is if a man gives milk to a woman, it means marriage. Why? The Prophet Sallallahu gift to Sayyidah Aisha on the walima in the marriage ceremony of the Prophet, the wedding, is that he gave her milk. Right, milk for a student of knowledge means knowledge. Milk given from a sheikh to a student means knowledge. Okay. So they, these are, that's just, I'm just giving you a very quick example. But you can now separate your nightmares are from Iblis. Your mixed up dreams, that's many people. And then the true dream. But the true dream, if it's interpreted properly, we are upon absolute, no doubt, yaqeen, it's going to happen. Why? Because the Prophet said so. The Prophet said, the true dream that comes to a righteous person, if it is interpreted properly, it will happen. And so start preparing yourself mentally for it to happen without leaving off your obligations and responsibilities and regular life. You don't go about leaving off. You don't go about living any differently, except that in the back of your mind, you make little preparations. That's going to happen. When? Allah knows best. Okay. Allah knows best when it's going to happen. All right, Ryan, what do we got? 
First, uh, we got the shout out for the hiking trip. Yes. Is he on Revival? Yeah, he's on. Good. So he said it's a men's group going up to the mountains on a two-day camping trip. Nice. Men only, ages 18 plus. Follow him on Twitter for more details. That's good. Are they going to eat squirrel? What are they going to eat? I assume beaver squirrel. and squirrel. Squirrel probably on the menu. Yeah, I got you. Got to You got to eat squirrel. Weed rats too, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> what else you got? So also some questions related to the dream mm -hmm. interpretation. Um, how does one become qualified? Is it is it something that is learned or something that is intrinsic? Hang out with dream interpreters. Watch them interpret. Learn from them. Talk to them. And there are not a lot of dream interpreters in the English language. All the dream interpreter. I only deal with one. He's in Egypt. He's an excellent dream interpreter. Uh, what I've seen, the, his dreams interpretations have been true. He, he says... They're right 90% of the time because the dream interpreter must, he must actually go back and follow up like a patient and a doctor. Because when the dream happens, right, the way he interpreted it, he knows that the interpretation was correct. Why? Dream and dream symbols are always all changing, right? It's, it's a renewed language. It's a language that's always being renewed. Why? Because there's more stuff that we deal with. For example, the cell phone today is something that didn't exist before, but it is a symbol in the world of dreams. Again, you can't just say what it's a symbol of. It, it depends on the context of the dream. Okay. So they follow up with the people and get a feedback that, yes, they were correct. So by just in the same way, I want to be a fiqh teacher. If you want to be a fiqh teacher, hang out with fiqh teachers, study with them, hang out with them. In two, three years, you'll be teaching intro level fiqh. No doubt about it, right? Hang out and study and learn. But dream interpretation requires a clean heart. Your heart has to be clean for dream interpretation. Okay. Uh, 21 Noor says, how do I know if something is a trial or a punishment? Very easily. If you're reacting with, with, with patience, it's a removal of sins. If you're reacting with an increase in your iman, then it's what's called in the Quran, and hasana, a tribulation that raises you up. If you're reacting by committing more sins, then it's a punishment. So the answer is, it's all from you, right? It's from you. You are the decider in, in the sense of whether a tribute, anything that comes to you, is a reward. If I get a job and I get a lot of money now or I inherit, is it punishment, tests, or reward? How do I use it? If I say the first thing I'm going to do is give a portion of it for Allah's sake, that's a good sign. If I make sure I'm not going to do any of it for the haram, that's a good sign. And I'm not going to, I'm going to make sure this does not distract me from the recitation of the Quran every day. Then all that money is a reward for you. Uh, one AK says seeking help from awliya is it permissible what's the concept he's speaking after death we hold that the the istighatha ala sabil tawassul is not permissible it's recommended which means that you put forth to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala your good the good deed of your heart that is i love this righteous person of your ummah okay so grant me such and such okay that is a good deed to love a righteous person is a good deed. So I put forth, oh Allah, I'm, uh, I, and I attribute myself to him and I love him. So grant me what I want. This is al-istighatha ala sabili tawassul. 
Okay, so it's istikhata that has essentially the same meaning as tawassul. That's what we promote and teach. Okay. Um, let's see what else. Ryan, you got one? Someone asked, how do you fight waswasa about Islam? So the doubts in Islam and the answers that scholars are giving are not convincing. If the answers that scholars are not giving are not convincing, then uh, it, you have to combine a dhikr wal fikr. You have to combine knowledge with purification of the heart, and you have to cut off the company that you keep, whether it's books, videos, whatever that is, of the opposite idea. So if I surround myself with atheistic arguments and I watch their videos all day and I read their books and I, and I, and I listen to their podcasts, then it's almost as if allowing foxes in and wondering why the hens keep getting eaten, right? So know that your hen is not going to survive. The truth will not survive because you keep letting foxes in. So cut off the bad suhba. Cut off that bad suhba. Purify your heart with dhikrullah and study. The combination of these three will remove doubts. But maybe you're studying with the wrong person. Yes, maybe you're not convinced. Who, who Doubts of Islam, Who? what kind of scholars are you studying from? So you have to ask yourself that question. Next. Someone asked about the hadith where you stay during dhikr in the spot that you prayed fajr until the sunrise. If you were to do this in Masjid al-Haram, will you get the reward of 100,000 hajj and umrah? It, 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 I can't remember exactly the same, the, the number of the reward. It is an immense, immense, immense reward. And uh, if you can do that, on a Thursday night Umrah, you do Umrah on a Thursday night, even if not Umrah, just Tawaf on a Thursday night. And then you stay up for Tahajjud until Fajr. And you pray Fajr in Masjid al-Haram. And then you stay up doing Ibadah in the same spot that you prayed until Ishraq. Now you just sent a rocket ship up into the air. You basically nuked your sins. Right? SubhanAllah. Let's go to Lila 22. If I like someone, should I ask him in my dua or should I ask Allah to grant me? If you name somebody, you must say, if it's good for me. If you name somebody, you must say, if it's good for me. If you don't, you may say, oh Allah, someone like him or of his qualities. Because you don't like a person. You like their qualities, right? That's the truth. You like their qualities. That's whom you like. So that's that's how that's the adab of making dua hadith jibreel placing dirt in the mouth of fir'aun or allah hadith about jibreel placing dirt in the mouth of fir'aun or allah would have forgiven him don't the angels have no free will they do what allah would have have them to do they are inspired directly by allah and fir'aun closed the door on him being forgiven so the result of that with his arrogance the result of that is that his mouth was stuffed he earned that stuffing of his mouth We Next, good, we have a good one. Mm -hmm. Someone said, asked pitifully attracted to inappropriately addressed woman to the point one doesn't appreciate his own wife. What's the remedy besides maybe going on this hike with rem with a uh, revival of man? A person's hawa, his desires, have now have an inclination to what is haram versus what is halal. And the answer to that is very simple it's mujahada. You're going to fight. You're going to fight. Uh, by much recitation of the Quran 
will purify the heart and you have to struggle against your nafs. Simple as that. You must struggle, struggle, struggle against your nafs and nonstop tawbah until your whim becomes different, your hawa. The hawa of your nafs becomes, you're, you as a human being, you will get accustomed to whatever you repeat. I'm telling you, there was a brother from Jersey. He went uh, and he lived in Africa. He never been to Africa before, right? And he said, so what was it like? He said uh, he lived in two years, two years, just straight, in a very poor village doing charity work, okay, in Africa. So he said, what happened at the end of the two years? He said, my tastes changed. Like my favorite food is their food, right? My, you know, what my, the, the attractiveness of women is their attractive women. Everything changed. What you repeat to yourself, well, human beings are like Play-Doh. You're so flexible. So you have to repetitively be with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through the recitation of the Quran and through dhikr and dua and ibadah and away from sins. How do you do that? By motivation. Find a motivation to make sure you do it. Okay. And if you repeatedly are with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through by being with his book, your, your desires will change. All right, Ryan. Um, let's see what we got here. What is the cure for heartbreak? The okay. cure for heartbreak is find someone else to love. Fall in love again. Uh, in, in, in the media, in politics, what's the cure for a scandal? Another scandal. Muzammil right? uh, Khan says, what does it mean to nag Allah? It means to not stop. It's not a hadith, but it's true. All the scholars confirm it. Allah loves al-mulih. He's non-stop. That's what it means. Brian? Oz, you want to join us? Join us if you want. Brian, what, what else you got? Um, someone commented on the discussions you had with Sheikh Hatim al-Hajj and uh, Sheikh Yusuf as well. Yep. Um, he asked, can you reflect on their approach and what's obligated for average Muslims in light of this between learning established creeds, which may be more complex or more of an innate fitri approach? No, the, the, the creeds of Islam are not to be divided between fitri and complicated. Okay. It's a very simple thing. Number Principle number one, we believe in Allah and everything that he said about his book. If you were to stop there, you're good to go. But actually stop there. That means if someone begins talking about sifat or something, you leave. The other, uh, the additional piece of knowledge that every Muslim should know is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not composed of a, he's not a jism, a man sitting up in the sky. He's not a jism because he's not a physical thing. No, he's not composed of matter. He created matter. So how can he be composed of it? He created space. So how can he be in space? He created time. So how can he be limited by time? Okay. Is that hard? We just said it in 30 seconds. And it, it, anything that is of space has to have a location. Anything that's in a location has to be made of stuff, right? So therefore, if Allah created matter, he can't be, he's not composed of it. Okay. He created location. Locations are a sort of quality of stuff. There has to be something to exist before it has a location. That's it. If you just uh, understood what I just said in 30 seconds, less in 10 seconds, khalas, that's all you need. And anytime there's an attribute, you negate what is physical about it 
and you affirm the result of it. Al-Majid, this is the beautiful thing. It's Thursday night coming up, and it is said that Allah has nuzul, that he comes down to the last level of the earth, and he asks, oh my believers, is there anybody seeking repentance? Is there anybody seeking forgiveness? Is there anyone who has a need? Is there anyone who wants anything? What does that mean? So we say that the Allah subhan we make tenzi that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not physically move from place to place. There's no such thing as God physically moving around the universe. Okay. And there's no such thing as Allah not knowing. Right? Everything about that? He's asking. What he doesn't know? No. So we 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 make tenzi of that. Okay? Which means we reject that. Because the Quran has told us to reject that. And secondly, we affirm the result of that. What's the result of that? That you will feel so near to Allah Ta'ala at that time, last third of the night, when you sleep and wake up for ibadah. And you, the dua will be answered so quickly. Answered does not mean it happens quickly. It may be answered tonight and it happened two years later. It will be answered. The, the likelihood of Allah answering your prayer is so high. So the result of the king coming and saying, what are you? What can I do for you? Means you're going to receive what you cannot even imagine. Okay. Next question. Can a Maliki pray behind a Hanafi? Yes. Can a Maliki pray behind a Hanafi? The answer is yes. Muzammil Khan. It is said in Hadith that the one who constantly recites durud on the Prophet all his worries will be taken care of and his sins forgiven. All sins and kabira and sagira except the difference that the kabira he must intend the repentance for it. The Sagira, he does not have to intend the repentance. That's the difference between Kabira and Sagira. Kabira is that which is, in the dominant opinion, uh, explicitly expressed in the Quran, the major sin. The minor sin is that which is forbidden in general by the Prophet. Next question Is it true that scholars were hesitant or avoided teaching creed? Uh, is it true that the scholars were hesitant to teach creed? And the answer is no. You have to learn what is creed? It's our creator. You have to know who your creator is, right? No hesitation. Qanata says, sometimes I have real dreams. Uh, it happens after a couple of days after the dream and as if it's a heads up. Is it allowed to share these dreams with those involved? Yes, if you don't fear their uh, jealousy. The Prophet said, those who care about you and they would love good for you and they won't get jealous of you, you may share the dream. And who will accept it? Some people think just this is crazy, right? Then no. They're, they're the ones who are ignorant of this, but if, if they'll accept it, then yeah. And uh, the true dream that happens immediately, exactly as you saw it, that's a branch of true dreams. It's one of the types. Next. I heard that the Qur'an plays a role in how easy a temptation can get to you, and if you tame him, you won't be as tempted. Is it true? It is true. The Qur'an... Is not his not job is not just to whisper to you to do sins. The Qareen's job is also to whisper to you doubts about Islam. So you have to be mindful of that. And so you have to gain knowledge. And have we tamed him or not? Allah knows best. We don't we don't know, so we always have to be on our guard. Next question. Can you just explain like what the Qareen is? Good good idea. The Qareen is a shaitan that Allah has protected, that he lives with you. He has a spot around your life, around your body, where it's protected. Protected from what? Your dhikrullah. 
You can go to Hajj. He doesn't get burned by it. You can recite Quran. He doesn't get burned by it. A true shaitan, a shaitan gets burned by dhikr. The nur of dhikr, it burns the shaitan. If, I, if you were to put your hand in a microwave, wouldn't you get burned, right? So unseen things can burn you, right? The jinns, the shayateen al-jinn, not all jinns are bad. The shaitan of the jinn, the wicked and evil jinn gets burned. He, feel, he experiences fire on his body. Okay, by dhikrillah. Nur burns him. So they can't even come near you when you're upon dhikr. However, the qareen is protected from all that. He's protected from that completely. Make dhikr all you want. He's going to be there. He's going to sow doubts in your heart and in your mind. That's his job. So you have to have knowledge. The qareens, to, to, the defense between you and the qareen is knowledge. Next question. Can you use snow to make wudu? Can you use snow to make wudu? Yes. As long as no human has added anything to the snow. And by the way, you don't have to if you're going to be harmed by it. Right? What is that? Open the window, see what it is. Um, uh, if you're going to be harmed by the snow, like in Morocco, there's in the mountains, and I think in Kashmir too, the water is so cold, they don't have the technology to heat up water. They make tayammum for Fajr permanently, as a permanent state. They always make tayammum for Fajr. Who is it, uh, Az? Prime? Amazon? Let's go to Layla 22. Every time Allah grants me ease, I tend to move away from him. How can I hold? That's that's a test that Allah is testing you with. Your awareness of it is the first sign of improvement. Your awareness of it. Every time Allah grants you ease, assign for yourself some worship that you're going to do. And work on yourself until every time Allah grants you ease, you, you do more ibadah and more charity to people. Charity does not always just with money. Charity can be with other things, with your attitude, with your forgiveness, with your time. Right? What's your take on the Diobandis? What's my take on the Diobandia? My take is the take of Sheikh Saeed Fouda, which is that they're a Sunni group and they uh, may have some errors in them. And definitely the statement that's attributed to them or some of their elders by the Brailvis, we say that statement is kufr completely, right? That statement, anyone who says that Allah can possibly lie, that's that's insane statement. And it's extremely dangerous. How do we know we're not being tricked all the time? They say, no, he won't lie, but he can. Yes, but that's that's also untrue because he is al-haq. He is al-haq, the truth. And he does not do a thing or say a thing. He does not say a thing or make a promise except that it's true. As for his threats, the nature, the definition of a threat is that it's in the air. It may come down upon you and may not. So as for those statements and a statement about the Messenger وسلم, that it's better to think about a donkey, does it seem like we never stop talking about this subject, right? I'm going to say it once. I'm not going to say it again. That statement, of course, as any scholar have said this, that's a kufri statement, right? That's that those specific matters. But as a general group, I'm, I'm going to make taqlid of what Sheikh Saeed Fuda said, which is they're a group from Ahl Sunnah. No group is perfect. They have correct things and they have incorrect things. By the way, who has kept up Hifz of Quran better than this group? If we're going to be fair, right? Name one group that have kept Hifz of Quran up better than this group. Name one group. That's that's maintained the 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 more strict version 
of gender interaction. Well, you have to have someone that maintains the strict so that there could be a, a middle. If everyone's in the middle, that, that, then the new middle is on the left, right? So th who's kept that up? Doesn't mean everyone has to like it, but because they've kept up that standard, right? There is a middle now that is more correct or, or that is more in line with what is correct, okay? Who has kept up, you know, the study of fiqh like them? One thing, I, what I noticed though, is that a lot of their students are weak in aqidah. I mean, who am I to judge? But that's what I've seen. Go watch Saeed Fuda's video about it. Ryan, make sure I never answer this question again. Okay. Every decade I can answer it once. <laughs> Next question. From our beloved brother Nafiz. Uh, when you're on a 14-hour air travel, how do you keep track of your salawats? Is it according to the origin of the travel? And if you're on a plane, can you do prayer while sitting? By the way, if you're on Instagram, do you guys hear Ryan or do I have to repeat the question? Uh, when you're on an airplane, you keep track of salah by looking out the window. So the only salah that you actually have to worry about is fudge, because it's going to come and go very quickly or very slowly, depending on the direction of your travel. So you have to keep it out for fudge. And once fudge comes in, now there's not going to be any obligatory prayer for a long time. You got to keep your eye out for when Maghrib is starting to come in, because then you're absolutely sure that it's Asr time, Dhuhr and Asr. You can pray Dhuhr and Asr because it might be so bright out, you don't know if you're in the first half of the day or the second half of the day. So so that you don't pray Dhuhr and Asr early, you wait and you see it. Well, it's definitely, or they tell you that where you're above right now, the country that you're above, the time is X, Y, or Z, right? And so you pray Dhuhr and Asr. And then as soon as it gets dark, you can pray Maghrib and Aisha. Bird Khan says, Explain worship Allah until you attain yaqeen means you continue to worship Allah until your certainty of iman becomes your iman becomes certain. And iman becomes certain that iman is like each each act of good deeds is like a pebble. Right? And then pebble upon pebble upon pebble, what does that produce? And a full mountain. All right, you have a mountain of good deeds, and that's yaqeen, immovable. Like you could take a bunch of pebbles and you could throw, let's say, 30 pebbles a day. A Muslim should be able to do 30 good deeds a day, right? You pray five times a day. In those prayers, you're reciting Quran, you're making dua. That's a lot of good deeds, right? You put 30 pebbles a day in one pile. After a year or two, that's an immovable pile, right? You're like You can't physically pick it up anymore. So that's what yaqeen is. It's iman upon iman upon iman until it's an immovable mountain. And then that iman is based upon I heard, I saw, or I experienced. That's the, the, the yaqeen itself has levels. Then, the, okay. Uh, how do I see the Prophet ﷺ in my dream? Make much salawat upon him and read his seerah a lot until you see the Messenger ﷺ. And Bird Khan says, please repeat Fatima's, uh, Ryan's question. All right, we got one more question that we could take before we wrap up for the day. Can women have the right to ask for a divorce and can they put on their nikah contract that a person cannot marry a second wife while they're still alive? Can women put that they have a right to divorce uh, in the contract and could they put it that if my husband marries a second, he cannot marry a second wife. Uh, there's a yes and no in both of these questions. The first thing that a woman can always ask for divorce, even without a reason. The man will either accept it or not accept it. 
or he can make a trade with the woman. In this, the woman to come into the marriage, she received a dowry, right? That made her happy, and she accepted the husband. If there's no reason for the divorce, like the man is a good Muslim, everything, he's a good guy, but I'm just not, I don't like him. It happens, right? Uh, may Allah make it not happen to the, any other men and women because you're in a miserable situation. But you can buy yourself out. In the same way you took a dowry to get into the marriage, right? Willingly. You want to leave willingly. You have to give some money back until he's content with the deal. So it's a buyout. If you have something that is against the man, if he gives you the cold shoulder, he doesn't talk to you, he doesn't pay for your food, he doesn't pay for your livelihood, your living, basically. That's Then you have a right and a judge can separate between you and the Madiq Madhab and Imam can divorce. Just, okay, you didn't fulfill your right. You have evidence for this? Yes, I have evidence. Here are the bills. He didn't pay a bill for like, a, uh, he doesn't pay the bills. I buy all the food, blah, blah, blah. Khalas, divorced. An imam could do that in a masjid, in the Madiq Madhab. So that's called tatliq, where a judge divorces you or an imam divorces you from your husband because he's not fulfilling his job. Let's say he is fulfilling a job, you pay him, right? Pay him until he's satisfied and then he, he utters the divorce. You can't say in the marriage that you're not allowed to take a second wife, but you can say in the contract, which he has to agree to, if I take a second wife, then divorce up happens immediately or that I have the choice of divorce. So for example, the, so the contract would say, in the occurrence that this man takes a second wife, then the divorce happens immediately. The moment he does the nikah, ijab and qabul, with the second wife, she's divorced immediately. Or the moment he says ijab and qabul to the second wife, then I have the choice to divorce or not divorce. Okay, We, they, 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 we don't have anything in the sharia of absolute choice. At all times, I can divorce. No, circumstantially, by this condi conditionally, I should say. If you do this, then we're divorced. Okay, or then I have the choice of divorce. And you put that in the contract and he agrees to that contract. Answers the question? Subhanakallah, bihamdik, nashadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk. اللهم اهدنا فيمن هديت وبارك لنا فيما اعطيت وقنا واصرف عنا شر ما قضيت ربنا ظلمنا انفسنا وان لم تغفر لنا وترحمنا لنكونن من الخاسرين اللهم حبب الينا الايمان وزينه في قلوبنا وكره الينا الكفر والفسوق والعصيان ويسك الله سبحانه وتعالى اللهم ان كان رزقنا في السماء فانزل وان كان في الارض فاخرج وان كان معسرا فيسر وان كان بعيدا فقرب وإن كان حراما فطهر وإن كان قليلا فكثر وإن كان معدوما فأوجد وإن كان موقوفا فأجره وإن كان ذنبا فأغفر وإن كان سيئة فمعها وإن كان خطيئة فتجاوز عنها وإن كان عثرة فأقلها وبارك لنا في جميع ذلك إنك مليك مقتدر وما تشاءه من أمره يكون Oh Allah, if our rizq is in the heavens, bring it down If it's in the earth, pull it up If it's difficult, make it easy If it's far, bring it near If it's haram, purify it If it's small, if it's a, if it's small, make it a, make it a lot. If it's non-existent, make it exist. If it's still, move it. If it's a sin, forgive it. If it's a bad deed, wipe it away. If it's an error, make it correct. If it's difficult, make it easy. And bless all of our rizq and accept all of our da'awat and wake us up tonight for tahajjud. 
that we can turn in dua and ibadah and seek of your fadl and may and grant us for your fadl so that we can love you more and serve the deen more as your prophet wasallam said love allah for the good things that he bestows upon you we ask allah for all of our husbands and wives that allah brings their hearts together and makes them enjoy their life together and make them help each other traverse the sirat on the day of judgment for all the kids in our ummah and in our community we ask allah to put iman in their hearts and love for their parents in their hearts and remove the fitna from their lives and from the households of the Muslims. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make the Quran constantly on our tongue and the Mus'haf constantly in our eyes and the and the Iman constantly in our hearts. We ask Allah ta'ala to make us love his messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam more than we love ourselves and love his messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam and his sunnah more than we love anything else in this world. We ask Allah for all the good things that he's given us. Let us enjoy him in this world in the way that is pleasing to him and use it for deen and da'wah in a way that pleases him and his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wallahu wa rasuluhu ahaqqu an yurdu in kanu mu'mineen may Allah ta'ala forgive all of our parents guide them into Islam if they're not Muslim and forgive their sins if they have sins and may Allah ta'ala make the last of days the sweetest of their days and the happiest of their days and let them die and enter the grave and make the abode of the grave better than this life and if they die make their die their death an easy death and when they come to you on the Yom Al-Qiyamah, grant them paradise without any hisab. Wa sallallahu wa baraka ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam tasliman kathiran tayyiban mubarakan fi wa akhiru da'wana ala alhamdulillahi rabbi. <laughs>